0: Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. This weekend, Splash Mountain ended at Walt Disney World after more than 30 years of operation. Soon, Disneyland, which built the first Splash Mountain, will close as well. While there may be controversy of its replacement, there is no question this attraction was a brilliant Imagineering masterpiece. Led by designers like Tony Baxter and Bruce Gordon, Chris states this attraction did what no other ride or attraction could do, especially for Disneyland and later for Walt Disney World and even Tokyo Disneyland. We not only explore the amazing aspects of this attraction, but celebrate it for what it accomplished. While there is so much good regarding the advent, of Tiana's Bayou Adventure, there will never be anything like the innovation that is Disney's Splash Mountain. This podcast is dedicated to celebrating this Imagineering masterpiece. As always, make sure you check out DisneyAtPlay.com, where we're going to have a kind of a, a celebratory video. And I say a video of not just the ride portion, but you have to appreciate everything from the moment you arrive to the queue, both exterior and interior, to uh, the exit areas, the gift shops. All of it is, is one entire experience, even more so when you get to Disneyland. And in fact, that's where we're going to begin. Well, out in California, at least, because Splash Mountain at Disneyland was an answer to three problems. The first problem was the need for a flume ride. This was a problem exacerbated by Dick Nunes, who really felt like the organization needed to compete with the best ride flume there was. And that ride flume was only a couple of miles away from Disneyland. To understand how a flume ride experience came to Disneyland, one has to understand Knott's Berry Farm, and and its its position and its uh its relevance to this entire experience. Now, you should know that um the Arrow Corporation and and those who were part of the Arrow Corporation who built many of the original attractions at Disneyland, later at Walt Disney World, even built the bobsleds, had also gone off and built a flume ride. And at that time, I think the first flume ride that they built was sold to Six Flags Over Texas, and I think the other one was sold, next one was sold to Cedar Fair. These early flume rides did one thing. They took you up, and then they dropped you down. And as a thrill ride, it did a pretty good job of doing exactly what it did. But Knott's came through with something very different. So you kind of get an idea of this. I want to just go back in time to um, the relationship that um, Walter Knott had with Walter Disney. Um, Knott... I'm reading, by the way, from Knott's uh, Preserved, which is an excellent story of how um, Knott's Berry Farm came to be. Walt Disney had been friendly with the Knott family for many years and even had been invited to the inaugural run of the Ghost Town and Calico Railway in 1952. The following year, the Disney's, Disney's team came to Knott's and took a look at the farm's design and operations. Knott's Berry Farm had grown organically with no master layout, but art director Harper Goff was among Disney's guests who studied Ghost Town for inspiration and drew their own carefully uh, rendered plans. Not respected Disney, but grew concerned about this looming possibility of Disneyland operating in the nearby city of Anaheim. You'd hear rumors about an amusement park occasionally, said Russell Knott. Once I called Mr. Disney and asked him, he said, Well, we've got a good start, about 60 acres on West Street. I said, well, That's interesting. I thought you were thinking about other locations. Walter Knott seriously contemplated the potential impact. Quote, We'd been here 35 years and our children had grown up in the business And a lifetime of work, of course, was all in it. When our kids were little, they had weighted tables. The kids were hardly big enough to see over the top of the tables. The customers knew us all by first names and felt very close to our business. They felt very sorry for us because there was a new place coming. Obviously, we couldn't compete with all that not quickly, ditched the complacency and handed out questionnaires to his patrons to find out what they wanted. And essentially, I'm going to jump through this and say, essentially, they liked the ghost town and they liked some of the other things, but they wanted more attractions. They wanted more rides. Finally, Disney invited Walter and Cordelia to the grand opening of Disneyland on July 17th, 1955. Seven years later, Walt reminisced about the event in an interview. Quote, finally the day came around for Disneyland to open. Mrs. Knott and I had a golden pass to Disneyland. Walt sent it over. After we had a bite of lunch, we went over there in the afternoon. I tell you that all the people in the world were there. They were just packed. We pushed around in the crowd and we looked at all the wonderful things that he'd prepared there. And we thought it was terrific. By the end of the afternoon, we began to think, huh, we better get home and send all our people home because the customers were all at Disneyland. We came home and we drove into the parking lot. There were lots of cars and we came in and asked in the kitchen. They said, oh, it'd been almost a normal Sunday. We had had the best year we'd ever had, and everyone since has been bigger than the year before. It just proves that maybe we needed some competition. Well, in time, that competition came in the form of new rides. One of it was the Calico uh, Mine Train ride, which really is um, parallel to uh, what would become... Uh, Big Thunder Mountain, but the biggest one, the thing that really was going to um, set the stage for uh, competing against Disneyland would ultimately become their Log Flume. Their Calico Log Ride opened in 1969, a couple of years after Walt Disney had passed. It was dedicated by John Wayne. And unlike those other flume rides of the time, it was actually kind of themed out. I mean, not in the way you think of Disney theming, but it had um, um, lumberjacks and others working on the log flume and so forth. And it was a themed experience. It was a themed attraction. And so as the years passed, Dick Nunez felt very strongly about the need for some kind of flume attraction and basically turned to the Imagineers originally and said, everybody's got a flume attraction, we need one too. The Imagineers actually early on turned back to Dick Nunes and said, well, it's because everybody else has one, we shouldn't have one. However, there were some other things at play at the same time. Uh, In the 1970s, around 1974, a new attraction opened up in what was the Carousel Theater. The Carousel Progress had moved to Walt Disney World and there was a need to fill that theater. The solution was a musical animatronic show called America Sings. Now I gotta tell you, America Sings was truly the most advanced animatronic musical show you could possibly imagine. Approximately 114 Audio animatronic um, figures were in this show in a series of four acts hosted by uh, Eagle Sam and Ollie Owl and a weasel. We'll get back to the weasel in a minute. It had four acts, one going into the deep south, singing songs like Down in the Valley and My Old Kentucky Home and Down by the Riverside. Then they headed west to sing songs like Home on the Range and Who Shot the Hole in My Sombrero. And then over to the gay 90s, where they'd sing Sweet Adeline, The Old Grey Mare and Only a Bird in the gilded cage, in a gilded cage. And then finally to the fourth act, which was modern times where they'd sing hound dog, shake, rattle and roll and joy to the world. Characters would come up and down, sets would change. It was really a spectacular attraction in my view. And if you asked me to choose, if only one attraction could stay, would it be the Country Bear Jamboree or would it be America Sings? I'd have a very difficult time. I love the Country Bear Jamboree, but I got to tell you, this show was something pretty remarkable in its time, and it was perfectly timed to America's bicentennial in 1976 when it turned 150, uh, 200 years old. And so it played out during that time, but by the time we got to 1977, 1978, attendance in this theater had just gone away. It wasn't happening. And there was a big question, what do you do with all of those animatronic characters? Especially because it was a very expensive set of characters to keep um, up and running in the best way possible. So this became the second issue. What to do with America Sings? There was a third issue that was also facing the organization at that time. On the other side of Disneyland Park was an area called... Bear Country. It had earlier been an Indian village, but had been transferred when Country Bear Jamboree was so successful at Walt Disney World. Mind you, it was the only thing on that end of the park. There was no pirates. There was no uh, Thunder Mountain. And of course, there was no uh, Splash Mountain. And so there were long lines at the Country Bear Jamboree. Well, by all means, we should have a Country Bear Jamboree at Disneyland. In fact, we should have not one, but two Country Bear Jamboree theaters, and the masses will come in huge numbers and fill that theater in the corner beyond Pirates of the Caribbean and New Orleans and the Haunted Mansion. They'll go into that very corner all the way to the back to see the Country Bear Jamboree. Not. It did not happen. Although it had attendance, it did not do what it needed to do in terms of really moving a massive number of people into that corner to better allocate the flow of traffic throughout throughout the entire park. So as a result, there was these three problems. A flume ride, an exit strategy for America Springs, and a way to fill the back corner of the park in bear country. Enter... Um, uh, enter uh, Ted Tony Baxter, who was already under some degree of pressure from Dick Nunes to come up with the flume ray. And he kept thinking about what would that look like? How would they do that? And suddenly sitting in traffic one day on the Santa Ana freeway, it came to him like a bolt of lightning. What if we were to take the characters from America Springs, build a flume ride back in bear country and theme it. What would be the theme? Well, honestly, most of the major films that Disney had created by that time had all been used. I guess they could have gone with Fox and the Hound or something, but maybe Bambi. But in truth, they saw this possibility with Song of the South because it had music, he saw the possibility of doing a flume ride called Zippity-Doo-Dah Run. And that would be filled with animal characters that would be in alignment with the Song of the South characters, i.e. Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, and Br'er Bear. And they would create an entire attraction of themselves. And oh, it would fill that corner of the park. And so that's what... That's what Disney did. By the way, Mark Davis had designed uh, the uh, America Sings attraction. So it was even more appropriate to use these characters to kind of help fill out that area. He had even been an animator with Song of the South and had done some of this. So it was just all of the perfect issues coming together. Now you had to get buy-in. And at that time, what was happening was, well... While they had worked on models and ideas for this, there was a big change in the company. And in in that overhaul, enter Michael Eisner. And Michael Eisner, on one of his first Saturdays, came out to Disney Imagineering, with his son no less, to look at the kinds of things they were working on. Um, One of those things was Star Tours, which Tony Baxter had also been working on. That was an obvious hit. Michael Eisner really... Uh, linked up with the idea of uh, working with George Lucas. They, everybody knew that Star Tours was a hit property. Could we make that happen? That sounded like a perfect idea. The other thing was this flume ride called zippity doo run Now, what really helped the day was that his son was with him. And he was totally psyched by this attraction, as Tony Baxter says. Eh, it's amazing that my entire career was dependent on a teenager at that moment. But fortunately for him, the teenager loved the ride. Uh, in time, the ride got a different name. In truth, it kind of got married with the idea of what if we kind of based it around Splash, which was a film that had come out during that time period about a, a mermaid, And uh, everyone could see that that wasn't the right fit. But the title, Splash, got married with the idea of a mountain, like Big Thunder Mountain and Matterhorn Mountain and Space Mountain, and thus came Splash Mountain. And so we have what became Splash Mountain. By the way... Um, I believe Dick Nunes actually changed his mind about this traction because the cost of it kept going up and he was not happy with the increasing cost of trying to get this. Well, they just couldn't even get the, the flume right and it was delayed in opening. But it was an answer for those audio animatronics, many of which I want to say about 70 of those original animatronics went into the original Splash Mountain. A couple of them ended up over in Splash Mountain, bare bone or bare skeleton, and they kind of became characters over in the queue for um, Star Tours. I don't know what I've said, but yeah, a couple of them went over to Star Tours. And the rest would eventually move on to the other Splash Mountains. Um, But they kept trying to fit. How could we get as many of those animatronics into the original Splash Mountain? And honestly, when you go to, if you are one of these listeners who have been on Walt Disney Worlds or Magic Kingdom, Splash Mountain again and again and again, you'll be a little surprised when you go to Disneyland because there were a lot more animatronics available. They were able to take a good chunk of those animatronics and apply them toward that attraction then add about eight other animatronics for Br'er Bear, Br'er Fox, and, and uh, Br'er Rabbit. And so that's how we came to have um, Splash Mountain. Oh, by the way, uh, one of the things that happened in America Sings is you would start in one theater and then you'd go through four acts and you'd end in another theater, same way you do with Carousel of Progress. And they would sing some song and then at the very, 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 very end, out would come this weasel that would say, pop goes the weasel. And that's how we get the weasels that are in America Sings. This little weasel would pop out pop up and it would, would keep popping out during the ride. There were six of those. Well, you see, they got put into Splash Mountain. And eventually they had to build additional animatronics in order to create Splash Mountain at the Magic Kingdom and Splash Mountain at... Uh, Tokyo Disneyland. Both of those were built at the same time. That was an advantage to the Magic Kingdom because one of the things that didn't work in the original Splash Mountain at Disneyland was the log flume. It really was kind of more like, well, think of the bobsleds or Space Mountain at Magic Kingdom, where you're kind of straddling each other. That was not going to work in... um, in in the Japanese culture. So they redesigned the flume to be two side-by-side, and that um, created a a better flume that was then used as well for the Magic Kingdom. So that's how we got that particular log as opposed to, to the one. Now, one of the great things about Splash Mountain is that it has... An unbelievably great visual presence. The entire mountain sits about, well, about five stories high. Um, At Disneyland, they've actually built it down. um, They've kind of dug down a little bit to um, better uh, match it with the surrounding area. Remember, the castle and other things are not quite as high in that mountain as they are at the Magic Kingdom. But... What they've done is there's this great visual presence when you first arrive there at Chickapin Hill. You see the logs coming down the flume and out sprays the water. And um, of course, mind you, if you don't know, those are water jets. It's not really the log, but it looks great. And more importantly, it gives guests who are wondering whether they should go on this ride... Uh, well, it gives them an education as to whether or not they should go and not go on it. If you go back to Space Mountain, one of the big problems of that attraction is that you didn't know what was in it. And a lot of people, especially early on, got on that attraction having no idea it was going to be a roller coaster in the complete dark. And so this is really helpful to have that visual in fact actually at Space Mountain they went at one point they had a sign with astronauts in a ride in a roller coaster well you know space vehicle kind of creening through um on the sign so that you got an idea that this indeed was a roller coaster um you re- and what's interesting and and, and, and so so you get to see this. You come toward it. You see the water cannons going out. And in the old days, especially during the summer months, they would every three, four, five, um, you know, randomly every three, four, five logs going down, they would shoot out a huge spout that would fly so far it would land out on the uh, on the uh, walkway where guests were kind of looking at it. In fact, that's one of the great things about that ride is you could just enjoy watching people come down that mountain and go through that experience, especially what is so cool because they're going through the Briar patch, which is part of the story and then out on the other side of it. And either way where you watched it up toward the mountain or further down after the, after the complete fall, it's always something great to walk, to watch and to experience as you, as you look at this. Um, the other aspect of this that made this, mount, this attraction so great is that while it gave you a very strong clue that this was a thrill ride and you were going to go down a mountain waterfall in a flume, what you didn't know was the whole show behind it. I'm not even sure that people going through the train where you could look down on the finale scene really kind of connected the experience altogether, but... That is really one of the amazing things about this attraction is you are on it for a little bit of time. You know, you go up a small hill and then you kind of come around the front where they're falling. Then you go up another hill and you come back around. Then you finally fall on your first fall. And then you go into what is actually a show building. It is not part of the mountain. You can't build the whole attraction within that mountain. And so the initial scenes were um, um, where, where you are being greeted by the animals, where you, um, see Br'er Bear caught in a tree, all those kinds of events right there up until, well, even actually when you drop into the dark and go through that roller coaster and then you go down again into what is the laughing play? well, not, um, it, into the um into the bottom pit area that whole area where all the fountains are and all the and and it's dark and it's luminescent all of that is takes place in a show building from the moment of the first drop until the fine final portion where you pass the vultures and you start going back up again um to the top of the mountain all that portion of the show is actually in show buildings. They're kind of toward the left, almost um, kind of skewing the back of the Haunted Mansion's show building at Disneyland. In Magic Kingdom, they kind of skew toward the right and move in that direction. So um, for instance, when you are getting your photos, and then you're seeing your photos, and then you come around, and there's a little gift shop and you can order those photos and all that. Behind that are it is where you get into the show buildings for this attraction. So there's a whole there's a whole world going on behind there. And what makes this attraction just so fantastic is you have no idea. All of this is playing out. And then of course after you go through the final fall, you come back around for the finale scene where everybody's on the show boat, and it's just it's just spectacular. In fact, that showboat scene is is about fifty feet wide by thirty feet high. It's one of the largest spaces of any single scene created um, for a Disney show attraction. And so, meanwhile, not only has this this ride, not only does the ride have this incredibly immersive experience within it, they took Bear Country, and they re bear country into what is critter country. Country bears stayed around for a few years and then Winnie the Pooh moved in. And that's another story. But notwithstanding, it became this critter country area. Um, Magic Kingdom was a little bit messier because you had to... The theme was a perfect match for aligning with New Orleans. You go through New Orleans, you come out to the side to Splash Mountain, it's just all part of the South. So it's just like this perfect um, concept. Even though the original bear country was actually Northwest Woods or North Woods, here they've kind kind of made it all into the South, you know, with critter country. By the way, for Tokyo Disneyland, it fills a great... A little corner of the rivers of America there, or the equivalent of the rivers of America, and 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 Splash Mountain is just perfect because they have the little characters. The, the Japanese just love those kind of little characters, and um, and then with it they have um, Grandma Sarah's. They have a massive. A counter service restaurant that is really impressive at Tokyo Disneyland. It is a two-story. You actually come in at the top story and you work your way down into this restaurant. And there's some outdoor seating, but most of it is indoor seating. And it's all, it's like, it's like dining in Splash Mountain. That's essentially what you're getting when you go to Grandma and Sarah's. And adjacent is Beaver Brothers Canoes. And that, um is a perfect place for a launch point for the canoe ride. It, it really is a cool little corner. Now what becomes of Splash Mountain there, that's not been really declared. It's undergoing, it's actually down as of the 18th of this month, but it's coming back up around the end of February. So they don't have any immediate plans that they have announced for turning it over to Tiana's. They might just wait to see how that goes. But right now, the Japanese love the show that's there and they, they, they get that. Now, over at the Magic Kingdom, that attraction, that big splash mountain there was kind of shoehorned. Um, they had to move the railroad to the other side. Um, and then they took the red clay and put it kind of in deeper hues to kind of match the 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 canyons of Big Thunder Mountain and, and kind of utilize some wilder grass and so forth. So it took a little bit more imagination. And no, it's not a perfect fit, but it's not a bad fit either. And guests just enjoy the fact that they get to go on both attractions when they are at the Magic Kingdom. So all of it is a total package. It is an impressive uh, experience altogether, and uh, you can't help but love it, whether you are visiting Disneyland, or Magic Kingdom, or Tokyo Disney. All of that is really, really great. If I can just add one other element that really makes this attraction a solid, well, it's, I would call it concrete evidence of great construction, is the fact that the entire attraction is made of cement. The mountain is made of cement. The trees inside are made of cement. Everything, the trough is cement. Troughs are usually, for boats, are usually fiberglass, but they dyed it, made it out of cement. In fact, what's wonderful is they can drain. There's about 475,000 gallons of water or at least that's the size of the reservoir. So they're able to actually, every night, if they want to, drain it all into the back reservoir, be able to walk through the trough area, do maintenance, do inspection work, refill it in a very short amount of time, and rerun the attraction. A great friend of mine, Randy, uh, who I knew many, many years ago, he was really the head of laying out all that con- uh, concrete, particularly the foundational concrete that made the troughs and, and the mountain itself. But then, and then of course, Disney Imagineers came and did all the sculpting work that created all the elements, houses within the, within the attraction and trees within the attraction. And every, there's just so many things. And why that's so brilliant is because water decays everything so quickly. It is, if you ever go backstage at Pirates of the Caribbean, you see the effects of water rot that happens and it requires continual maintenance and so forth. This is not a problem in Splash Mountain. By the way, I used to have tours that I gave when um, I taught, and created the customer service program for the disney institute we would come in from backstage behind splash mountain and we would talk about how the queue was set up we talk, you know that little play area such a brilliant thing there's a little play area for small children that allows them that allows adult guests or adult parents to do a child switch and uh and it too is made of cement Um, The whole way the train station comes in, the shading of the trees, the the little theming, you're brought into the theme more and more as you continue throughout the queue of the attraction. Uh, By this photo at the end, uh, it's just so many elements that create a wonderful experience on Splash Mountain. I have to say that for many years, and I have to also say, by the way, the first time I stepped backstage in Splash Mountain was probably one of the most disappointing things. Because up until that moment, Splash Mountain was my favorite attraction in all of Walt Disney World. It would, I had known it for, uh, let's see, when did that come on board? Well, it wasn't on that long. It was about, I had uh, been around it or on it for about five, six years between Disneyland and Walt Disney World. I love that attraction. It was number, number, number one. The day I went backstage, it was so disappointing. My first step was into the computer room. You could see computers that were handling all the work there. Um, And then you stepped into the back. You think that when you go down into the depths and you're at the bottom where the vultures are, you think you're just buried in the earth. Actually, that's just ground zero. You can't build down at the Magic Kingdom. You can only build up and it, but the brilliance that you think you keep going down and down and down and then finally up and down is just, that's what I love about Splash Mountain. And even though there have been other great attractions that have come and gone since, I still have a special place in my heart for Splash Mountain. And I think if you've been listening to this podcast, well, you probably do too. It is just something really special and while I hate to see it evolve into something else, I'm sure what's new is going to be great too, but know that my heart will always remember Splash Mountain and uh, and I'm grateful for the years that I got to enjoy it. Well that does it for this Disney at Play podcast. By the way, thanks for your patience. I have been dealing with uh, some clients that and deadlines and so forth, so I've kind of had to move things around. Still trying to get you two podcasts a week, but of course, it just a little bit of a timing issue. So bear with me. Make sure if you haven't checked out my other podcast, to do so. The previous one is a replay, but it's about my life, my love of Disney, and my first three decades of Disney. As we're celebrating performance journeys, my business is. Um, 20th year, 20th anniversary. I'm going to talk in three different podcasts about my years at Disney and then my years at Performance Journeys. And I wanted to preface it with my uh, growing up with Disney. It's all things Disney. So I hope you take the time to hear it as well as we just also did a review of the Walt Disney World Railroad that came back online. Check that out if you haven't. Again, Check out all our podcasts. We appreciate it. Check out our Patreon group, Wayfinder Society. And again, wherever you are, whatever you do, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.